Thank you, uh, Professor Kondapalli. Um, and thank you, FNVA and uh, Mr. Tandon, Mr. Evon Banerjee, for inviting me today to speak to this um, distinguished gathering. Um, the topic, as you all know, is China's uh, new leadership and its relations with India. And I think that's a good beginning uh, to look at how the policy alternatives will shape, shape up. And uh, a starting point, in my view, would be the 18th Party Congress, which we've uh, just seen the conclusion of. Uh, it marks a uh, crucial stage. It's an important stage in the Chinese Communist Party's evolution. And to my mind, was a success uh, for the party's veteran leadership, who ensured that the Party Congress carried through the handover of power to the uh, designated successor leaders quite smoothly. Uh, the Congress is different from earlier Congresses that have been held insofar as um, there was um, a marked absence of a veteran uh, leader, a long march leader in the, on the sidelines. Um, the uh, person chosen as the General Secretary of the party had not been selected earlier by any of the veteran leaders. In fact, the last such choice was Hu Chintao. Uh, the installation of the top echelons uh, of cadres who grew up during the CCP and I think uh, during the Cultural Revolution, I think this is the most important point, that all those who have been installed today are people who joined uh, the Chinese Communist Party during the Cultural Revolution and grew up there. Uh, some of them, in fact, personally suffered uh, during those tumultuous years and of them I would uh, point to the princelings. Um, uh, four of them who are, uh, who are in the uh, seven-member Politburo Standing Committee and who, some of whom personally suffered. But despite that, they joined the Chinese Communist Party and uh, rose through the ranks, indi indicating a kind of determination or commitment to the ideology of the party. The Chinese Communist Party itself was, uh, has been through a rough period uh, in the last year. Uh, in fact, I would say that it was severely disrupted and the Chinese Communist Party leadership was stunned and shocked uh, by the Poshilai incident. Um, this is the first time in decades, in fact, that a senior cadre of the Chinese Communist Party actually, uh, and with such an impeccable uh, red revolutionary pedigree, um, made efforts to acquire a base, a personal base in the PLA, in the security apparatus and among the people almost like uh, an American politician trying to run for elections. Uh, but that is what he tried to do. And in the process, instead of just ensuring his position or his candidature for the Politburo Standing Committee, what he did was he uh, projected himself um, or uh, created an impression that he was an alternate power center, uh, much to the discomfiture of Hu Chintao and Xi Jinping, who decided that it is time to get rid of him. They joined hands and they moved him out. Um, in the process, of course, uh, there were a lot of politics that were played, uh, there was a lot of manipulation that was done, and the Chungking uh, uh, public security chief, uh, Wang Li-Chung, was an instrument used by the Beijing leadership. Uh, the rest is all history as to how he uh, sought uh, shelter in the U.S. consulate in Chengdu, um, how uh, the charges were levied, uh, and what light punishment he got, etc. But uh, the party learned a lesson uh, through the Poshilai incident. Um, they realized a few things. The first 
was that their monitoring of senior cadres in the party was not adequate and that had to be strengthened. Uh, there was no question of party cadres being allowed to violate party discipline and uh, fall prey to foreign intelligence services, as was the case with Wang Lichun. Uh, they also felt that the public security apparatus needs to be cleansed. And as you all know, uh, about 3,500 people were sent for political education after this uh, incident. Um, and um, finally, the decision was taken that, party uh, that the ideological education in the party and political education needs to be intensified. And there have been successive programs that were initiated for that, particularly in the uh, PLA. In fact, uh, there was an article, I remember, uh, in the PLA uh, around July in the Liberation Army Daily, uh, which spoke, uh, it was an article written by a senior political commissar, and it spoke about the emergence of factions in the PLA. This is the first time that we've seen that after so many years. However, um, with this jolt that the party suffered, uh, the fact that the party congress went through was, I think, uh, quite creditable. But there was also something else in the background that was uh, developing in China, and that was the uh, discontent, the widespread discontent that had spread through the country, and um, uh, a lot of disenchantment. Uh, there were a lot of calls for political reform, which actually piggybacked on the calls for economic reform. Uh, and a number of the liberal economists, including, in fact, uh, uh, Sun Liping, who is um, Xi Jinping's uh, tutor, was at one time, uh, also made calls for uh, economic reform. And in fact, he went a bit uh, further by saying that um, social instability or uh, uh, social unrest uh, was being used as an excuse by the security forces to try and stall the reform process. Um, anyway, uh, the number of protests rose uh, from 180,000 in 2010, according to a confidential estimate by the Tsinghua University, at the rate of almost between 8 to 12 percent a year. And um, a, a study or a report in the Blue Book issued by uh, CAS last year, the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, uh, pointed out that the people were beginning to lose confidence in the government. The party itself uh, took measures to um, try and tackle the situation. They were very concerned about uh, social uh, stability management, uh, which is the euphemism for public security and law and order. And what they did was boosted the uh, domestic security budget. And for the last two years, the budget had been higher than the national defense budget, uh, which, and this is the first time that this has happened. Uh, meanwhile, the netizens in China have become very active indeed. And if one looks at the <coughs> cyberspace, at uh, uh, Sina Waipo and uh, Tencent and others, uh, one sees a lot of critical uh, blogs appearing, uh, all kinds of blogs, talking about the amount of money that uh, carders are making and spiriting out of the country, uh, talking about uh, the luxury, uh, luxurious, um, uh, luxury living and lavish lifestyles of party carders. Uh, the amount of money that party cadres have made and things like that. And they've in fact, um, uh, immediately after the party congress, there were at least two cases where uh, senior functionaries were named uh, by uh, prominent individuals, including former deputy editors of Kaichin, etc. So uh, there is a kind of a, 
uh, shall I say, uh, effervescence, which the party leadership would say is of the wrong kind, uh, taking place on the uh, in cyberspace. And um, this was reflected when the 18th Party Congress was held in Beijing. Uh, security was very high. Uh, they um, um, drummed up 1.4 million volunteers to look after the 2,000-odd delegates. Uh, and some netizens said that that's about 660 security personnel for one delegate. Um, apart from that, uh, they also sealed off the borders with um, Nepal, with uh, Myanmar, and with India in order to prevent um, uh, people uh, uh, from coming in. And you know whom they meant when they spoke about people. The effect of all this, including of the Poshilai incident, was to my mind evident in the selections done or in the composition of the Politburo Standing <coughs> Committee. Firstly, the Politburo Standing Committee was reduced in size from 9 to 7. Now, this is something that had been going on for quite a while, and we've been hearing reports about it uh, for over a year. <coughs> but the seven who were selected, two of them were already designated candidates, namely Xi Jinping and Li Keqiang. But the other five uh, who have been appointed and who are now uh, Politburo Standing Committee members, which means the seven people who actually, in effect, run China, are all conservative elements. And I'll just mention one or two uh, of them. Uh, the first whom I would uh, identify is Li Yunshan, who is the uh, Politburo Standing Committee member, who continues to oversee propaganda, culture, um, and the cyberspace to that extent. Um, he was a conservative and a very strong uh, director of the propaganda department. Um, he was, you may uh, recall, in charge of the propaganda apparatus in 2008 during the riots, when uh, he managed it in such a way that it shaped the narrative at that time, and in fact drove a wedge between the Han majority and the Tibetans uh, at that time. And we are seeing the um, effects of that uh, propaganda uh, effort even till today when uh, there are reports of clashes between uh, Han students and Tibetan students that keep taking place in middle schools and senior middle schools across China. Um, he has also been given additional responsibility of the Central Party School, which is an important place where all the people who are marked for um, uh, you know, uh, higher posts in the party and in the army, uh, they go through the Central Party School, and he's in charge of that. He's also importantly, a um, uh, member of the Secretariat of the Central Committee, which has been reconstituted, and which seems that it's going to be a more influential body than the previous Secretariat. There are now, there's one Politburo Standing Committee member, and there are four Politburo members on that uh, Secretariat, which reports directly to Xi Jinping. Of special interest to, I think, the gathering here would be the fact that the Secretariat includes um, Li Yunshan, who has this background of Tibet, and it also includes Tu Chinglin, who, in fact, people thought would be retiring. I mean, he was 67 years of age, and that's normally the time when they get ready to uh, be eased out of office. But he was brought into the Central uh, Committee Secretariat. Um, and when you look at that, along with the appointment of Ko Long as the Party Secretary of Beijing, uh, again, a person with experience in Tibet, many years of experience in Tibet. And uh, Ling Chihua's appointment as uh, director of the United Front Department, it would appear 
that uh, an initiative is in the offing um, on Tibet by Xi Jinping and his uh, team. The other important facet of uh, power in, the chi in uh, China is the army. And here again, uh, some interesting things happened coinciding with the Party Congress. Uh, this time, we saw that the appointments to all the principal departments of the PLA had been completed before the Party Congress got underway. In fact, well before. And each one of the persons who was appointed is a person who owes his promotion and uh, who is a loyalist of uh, Hu Jintao. Uh, to my mind, this would indicate that Hu Jintao and Xi Jinping have worked closely together in the military sphere and otherwise, and uh, there is uh, uh, going to be a continuation of the policy that Hu Jintao had initiated. The, um, uh, there are five princelings in the Central Military Commission, um, apart from signifying that the princelings are on the rise, but uh, these five, of them three have come out in public with fairly tough statements on the South China Sea issue, and I mention this because it is indicative of their mindset uh, as to how uh, China should uh, handle uh, disputes with its neighbors. Uh, Xi Jinping, meanwhile, has moved um, very rapidly uh, after the Party Congress in two spheres. One, he has shown his uh, commitment to pursuing uh, the economic reform policies uh, set out by Hu Jintao. But uh, this is qualified. Uh, he, when he talks about economic reforms, he talks about graduated reforms. And he recently made a speech, I think it was um, just about three days ago, um, where he spelt out the various steps that the economic reforms have to take place, uh, have to take. And these are in accordance with uh, the policies that were worked out with Hu Jintao, which is one of common prosperity or an inclusive growth, and not letting some get rich uh, first. The second thing was um, his trip to uh, Guangdong. Um, it was, of course, a lot of analysts pointed out that it was reminiscent of Tang Xiaoping's southern tour, and uh, at a time when uh, reforms had threatened to stall, uh, and Tang Xiaoping wanted to give them a push. Uh, that, of course, is there, and that was the message. But there were two other messages that were also transmitted at the same time. One was that Xi Jinping was making a point of uh, stressing frugal living and a simple lifestyle. And um, the Hong Kong media, which picked up the visit first, uh, showed his entourage traveling throughout uh, those four places that he visited in minibuses uh, with a police escort, but with no disruption to traffic and no disruption to the people. They also showed him on occasion mixing with the common people. So uh, this was one point uh, that was made. And subsequently, on the 4th of December, a circular has been issued uh, laying down what the party carders should do and what they cannot do uh, during inspection visits uh, along the same lines. The second is, I think, uh, also an important, uh, uh, an important um, point uh, for analysts to consider, and that is this uh, vision of the Chinese dream. Uh, this was first, it, it was sort of, it came out during the uh, Party Congress, but it was really uh, fleshed out um, by the cadres, uh, not so much by Xi Jinping, who only made a couple of references to it. 
But this Chinese dream was, is something which I understand uh, was being formulated as uh, far as three years ago. Uh, so, which indicates that Xi Jinping uh, was very clear as to where he's headed and um, what policies he's going to follow. And Wang Huning was the person who was closely associated with this Chinese dream. And essentially, the Chinese dream incorporates three things. The first is uh, higher incomes for Chinese. The second is a better environment for the Chinese. And the third is a strong nation. And here, uh, Xi Jinping's repeated references to rejuvenation of the Chinese nation, I think, are significant. That implies not only a strong China, but it also imply, implies or it recalls the humiliations that China has suffered at the hands of foreigners, thereby uh, making uh, China's position uh, with regard to um, negotiations or concessions on issues of uh, sovereignty or uh, territorial integrity more inflexible. Um, finally, I think um, the new leadership's agenda uh, is going to be somewhat different from that of its predecessors. The first uh, item that they will tackle are the domestic issues and primarily the economy. They have to keep the prices at an uh, acceptable level. They have to control inflation. And they'll be working to that. There's a slight difference here, though, between their um, um, uh, policy red lines and that of uh, Hu Chintao and Wan Xiaopao. The first is, that in his latest uh, speech, Li Keqiang, the Premier, uh, spoke of a 7.5% of a growth rate, but uh, in other conversations, there are references to an 8% growth rate. And I think that is linked to the fact that uh, unemployment is something that they have to tackle, and uh, they have to try and work on creating more jobs. Uh, a 7% growth rate makes that somewhat difficult, and today there is a situation where the graduates coming out of colleges are complaining that they're not getting jobs, and the officials are clarifying that there are enough jobs available, but they're not of the type that the graduates want. So that's the uh, um, difference there. Uh, there is also a lot of resentment among the demobilized PLA soldiers. And at the time of the party congress last year, in fact, um, there was a group of PLA soldiers in Liaoning who claimed to speak for 60,000 uh, other um, demobilized soldiers and listed uh, a lot of, um, I mean, they had a long list of complaints about non-payment of dues, etc. If that kind of thing um, catches on, it will mean a more serious trouble for um, uh, the new leadership, which is also why the new leadership is unlikely to move uh, strenuously on the issue of reform <coughs> of the SOEs. Um, it would mean more unemployment, more worker layoffs, and I don't think they're prepared for that. There is, however, going to be um, a reduction in the size of the bureaucracy, and we'll see uh, fewer ministries probably, probably being proposed by March next year. Um, in fact, one of the uh, ministries that is proposed to be done away with is the Ministry of State Security, which will be merged with uh, a National Security Bureau. The Second uh, issue that they have while looking at domestic issues is that of Tibet. And to my mind, that is a matter which causes them very serious concern. Uh, when it comes to Xinjiang Uyghur, they look at that as a basically a law and order or terrorist issue. 
the Uyghurs have taken to uh, arms and um, they can be sorted out the same way. So the tactic they follow there is to isolate the area where there is a problem, uh, blank out any uh, exposure um, or, or access uh, to the media, and then, uh, if I may use the term, neutralize the problem and uh, carry on. With Tibet, it's different. They're just not able to understand why, when they're pumping in a lot of money, when they're trying to look uh, work for the development of Tibet, uh, why the people are not accepting of the communist rule, of Chinese communist rule. Uh, they've now gotten a new party secretary uh, who is following, um, apparently chosen by uh, Xi Jinping, and he has brought in a policy where he is accelerating economic development, particularly in the urban centers in Tibet. Uh, at the same time, uh, by his own admission, he has increased the number of uh, police stations across Tibet in order to ensure that response time to any incident does not exceed three to five minutes. He has also strengthened the party's presence, and there is a presence now in every village in uh, the Tibet Autonomous Region. Um, he has also increased uh, party surveillance. Uh, and as he said in a recent interview, or well, not very recent, in September, uh, there are photographs of uh, Mao, Tang, Chang Zemin, and Hu Chintao in every monastery in Tibet. So uh, they have stepped up that. In addition to uh, creating a cadre of people who are monitoring the monasteries and the monks. So they are trying that kind of, uh, uh, they're, they're making that kind of uh, move. At the same time, there are indications that Xi Jinping is contemplating some kind of an initiative aimed at the Tibetan community abroad and possibly inside Tibet. Uh, abroad, there was a recent case of a visitor to Dharamsala, uh, who met the Dalai Lama and uh, the Sichong and um, Ugen Thinle, the Galwa Karmapa. Uh, nothing much has come of it, but it, is, it indicates that the leadership is looking for ways uh, to try and defuse the uh, tension that exists today where the spate of self-emulations is unending. And one of the methods, I think, is to try and again um, recommence the uh, negotiations or the dialogue that was going on, um, if at all that is possible. But that is uh, an initiative that will take place. Along with that, and what is of direct relevance to us uh, in India, is the increased activity in Nepal. Nepal is viewed by the uh, Chinese as the launch pad from where the US and the Dalai Lama will try and instigate trouble in Tibet. And uh, that's why they've increased their um, presence there. And they've certainly become more active, particularly their counselor and the defense attache um, in uh, you know, uh, coordinating with the Nepalese government. There are also all kinds of plans which are being uh, brought in. The third aspect of the Chinese policy is an increased um, effort to uh, contact and interact with high-ranking lamas uh, in order to win them over and also at the same time to undermine the Dalai Lama's position. They're looking, of course, to a regime in the post phase where um, they expect that the Tibetan community will be uh, leaderless and uh, that is the time they will try to try. So these are the uh, moves that they're making um, 
uh, at the moment. Uh, Taiwan is not such a major issue for them. Uh, they feel it's in a state of, shall we say, passive improvement, so they're not really concerned. And that uh, brings us to the South China Sea, which is, with, which is what I think will be at the top of their agenda and the foreign policy sphere, uh, where this administration, Xi Jinping's administration, will continue to push the envelope. I don't think there will be any uh, chance of a compromise or negotiation. Uh, their effort will be to use their economic leverage as well as a military strength to try and carve down the neighbors and get them to accept the Chinese position. Of course, short of a clash. Uh, and they will not want a clash with the US either. Um, as far as India is concerned, uh, what we do see is um, unceasing pressure on India uh, in the form of incursions, in the form of uh, Chinese activities in our neighborhood, in Nepal, in Sri Lanka, in Myanmar, where, of course, uh, the stage is being set for a contest with the US. Um, and probably in Bhutan. Uh, these are the new areas where they are moving in uh, more actively. Um, the number of exercises that the PLA has been organizing, including integrated joint uh, exercises um, across our borders, have increased uh, in size and in number. And I think in the last 10 months, there are some people here who can correct me uh, if I'm wrong, uh, the figure would be about six major exercises that have taken place. Um, and that's uh, something that uh, is a source of constant pressure. The new kinds of aircraft that have been deployed and additional aircraft that have been deployed in Tibet. Um, there are also, um, there is also no change in their policy of restricting India in its, um, uh, within the South Asian region. And in fact, one of the um, points that they point out, or one of the factors they point out as causing friction between India and China are India's regional aspirations or India's growing aspirations. They want to contain that. And which is why uh, there is no question of their supporting India in the, uh, UN, for a UNSC uh, seat, um, despite vague comments on that. Uh, they are in fact increasing um, the ambit of their claims in Arunachal Pradesh and in JNK. Uh, they have now started contacting and exerting pressure successfully on international organizations, preventing them from uh, uh, giving development assistance to projects in Arunachal Pradesh. I expect the next step would be in JNK. So uh, they are trying all this. They have also gone on record uh, and made at least four to five comments in their official media, saying that um, in, the, in the context of sorting out their border issues with various countries, including maritime issues, uh, there is no question in their mind that they will have to go to war, that finally the issues will have to be resolved through conflict. Um, in the context of the South China Sea, uh, they look at two countries which, uh, with whom a clash is likely, and that is India and Japan. And they say that if uh, such a situation does come about, they will choose the bigger of the two, which is India. The reason, again, has been spelt out, which is to signal to all the countries around and in the South China Sea that um, big countries like India and Japan cannot come to their assistance, and neither can the US. And therefore, they're on their own and would be better off accepting uh, Chinese dominance in the region. 
So this is a, a brief um, outline sketch of how I see uh, the new leadership, of how I see the Chinese Communist Party. There are problems, serious problems that China faces, but I don't see um, the Chinese Communist Party itself um, uh, crumbling or weakening uh, in, a, in, in a major sense, at least over the next five to ten years. Thank you. Thank you very much.